This afternoon we open Holy Scripture to Hebrews chapter 7, where we'll read the verses 11 to 28 in connection with Christ's ascension. Hebrews 7, beginning at verse 11. The first part of that chapter is about Melchizedek, describing Melchizedek as a king who was an eternal king, or an eternal priest, a high priest. We begin at verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not to be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses, nothing, Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and who has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. So far, the word of God. Let's see what we confess from, about that from the Lord's Catechism. In the, in the Heidelberg Catechism, what we confess about the high priest Lord's Day 18, and we'll focus mainly on the benefits um, and question and answer 49, but we begin with question and answer 46 of Lord's Day 18. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven, that Christ before the eyes of his disciples was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead? Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. 
But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all. For his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he sends us his spirit as a counter pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls belonging to the Lord. We heard in the exhortation at the Lord's, in the Lord's Supper form, you have this exhortation. We must not cling with our hearts to the outward symbols of bread and wine, but lift our hearts on high where Christ, our advocate, is at the right hand of his heavenly Father. You recognize those words right from the form. Why that exhortation? And in particular with the Lord's Supper. Well, in the time of the Reformation, there was a, quite a bit of debate about the, the actual presence of Jesus Christ at the Lord's Supper celebration. How is he there? Church of Rome, and to some extent the, the Lutheran Church, believed that in some way the Savior had to be physically present in the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. In other words, they didn't truly accept the Savior's bodily ascension into heaven and his presence in heaven at this time. For his people to have real union and communion with him in the bread and the wine at the Lord's Supper, he has to, they say, by some miracle, be physically present in the bread and wine. But Reformed churches in the Lord's Supper form and in the Catechism emphasize that we don't need to eat and drink the physical body and blood of the Lord at the Lord's Supper table to have communion and union with him. No, when we eat the bread and drink the wine in faith in Jesus Christ with the mouth of faith, it said then, then we truly do enjoy union and communion with him through the bread and the wine. They don't change their nature. The bread and wine don't become something else. He truly gives himself to us by his spirit when we consume his body and blood spiritually when we eat this bread and drink this wine. And in the meantime, we believe with Scripture that he remains in heaven, physically in heaven, at the right hand of his Father. But with respect to his grace, majesty, and spirit, he's never absent from us here. And also when we partake of the bread and wine, he is there. And he assures us in that bread and wine, what he did is for us and what he still does is for us. And see, why, that's why that exhortation in the form for Lord's Supper, which was written at the time of the Reformation, these forms are very old that we use. We must not cling with our hearts to the outward symbols of bread and wine, but lift our hearts on high where Christ our advocate is at the right hand of his heavenly Father. It means that those who partake of the Lord's Supper shouldn't think that, shouldn't focus on that bread and wine as if Jesus Christ has to be in that bread and wine itself, physically present. But they need to focus 
their attention on Jesus Christ as their ascended Savior and to take comfort from his physical presence in heaven, the benefits of his physical presence in heaven. And with that in mind, I, I proclaim to you the gospel in Lord's Day 18 with this theme, lift up your hearts on high where Christ is. And we confess three benefits of his ascension. He's our advocate before his father. He took our flesh into heaven and he sends his spirit from heaven to us. First of all, he's our advocate before our father. Christ's ascension took place before the eyes of his apostles. So we can say it's a physical, it was truly a physical ascension. They saw his physical feet lifting off the ground and then a cloud took him out of their sight eventually. They were witnesses to his ascension. And you'd think they would have been sad to be separated from their Lord there on the Mount of Olives, the physical presence of Christ. Would have been nice to have him with them yet. But no, it says in the, the, the end of the Gospel of Luke that after the disciples saw him ascend into heaven, they, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. As he had told them before, it was for their benefit that he was ascending into heaven, physically into heaven. How was his ascension, his physical ascension into heaven for their benefit and for the benefit of the church built on their testimony? Also our benefit. And that's question and answer 49 of Lord's Day 18. Well, the first benefit we confess there is that Christ is our advocate in heaven before his Father. In other words, he advocates for us before God's throne. An advocate is somebody who speaks up for you. He speaks up for us before God the Father. And that's a truth clearly based on the Bible. We read from Hebrews 7, where the permanence of Christ's priesthood is emphasized. A Melchizedek priesthood, not an Aaronic one. And then it says in verse 25, Therefore Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Priests from the lineage of Aaron had to pass on their high priestly office to their sons when they died. Their work of sacrificing and interceding and advocating for the people would come to an end. And it had to be carried on by another then. But Jesus Christ is an eternal high priest. He was put in his office by oath forever as Melchizedek was. He's a high priest forever. And whereas the Old Testament high priests were only allowed to enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and temple once a year, Jesus Christ is the high priest, supreme high priest who has entered the true Holy of Holies in heaven with his atoning blood. And he remains there physically working for us. And because of that, he is able to save completely and forever those who come to God through him, as it says in Hebrews 7, verse 25. He always lives in heaven now and makes continuous intercession for all who show themselves to be believers by praying to the Father in his name. So you may imagine that it's something like this. You kind of visualize it something like this. Jesus Christ is seated or stands at the right hand of his Father in heaven, a place of authority, power. And he says a good word for us there. 
as our personal representative who speaks up for us before God the Father himself and for before his throne, his judgment seat. It's like in a courtroom. You have a lawyer, an advocate who knows you and who knows the laws and the language of the court and he rep represents you there in court. He speaks up for you. So the Lord Jesus speaks up for you and me personally before the God of the universe in heaven. He takes our case up there with God. He prays for us, intercedes for us, and he has our cause at heart because he gave himself for us. And that's a wonderful thing to contemplate, to, to visualize. You and I are never alone before the throne of the Lord God Almighty. Our prayers always fall short, don't they? You and I are never alone before God because, yes, our prayers fall short, but and we always ask for things. We do often ask for things that aren't good for us. We don't pray for the, the right things necessarily, the things that really matter either. We don't know how to pray as we ought. The apostle writes, Romans 8. But then the Son of God he stands there and he pleads, or he sits there and he pleads for us before God's throne. He leaves out what's wrong in what we pray. And he includes what we leave out in what we pray. And he refines when we stumble over our prayers. He even prays for us when we can't pray anymore. Maybe, maybe we've lost our memory because of Alzheimer's. We can't pray. He's still there for us. Seeking God's face in prayer and that's a wonderful comfort to know but it's only a comfort for people who also do pray here and now who show themselves to be true believers in daily life who constantly seek God's face in prayer who know themselves fully dependent on God and his grace they can know he's taking their prayers refining them and bringing them to God on the basis of his sacrifice for those people. We come to the second benefit of Christ's ascension. Christ took our flesh into heaven. We confess it this way in answer 49. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us as members up to himself. Now, you might think, but my flesh, my body is here, right? How can he take that into heaven? And yet, we can say that he, we have our flesh in heaven too. It's there, our flesh is there in the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus went back into heaven differently than when he left there before. When he left heaven, he was God of God, very God of God, light of light, when he returned, he arrived there as God of God, but also as man of men. So he took our human flesh into heaven when he ascended there, our DNA, a physical human body, like your body, my body. Think about it. When the Lord Jesus looks at himself in heaven, he sees something of ours. 
a human body. And think what that means too. If he looks at himself, he sees a human body, so he cannot forget us. Every time he looks at himself, he's reminded of you and me, his people. He will never, ever forget us. Oh, sometimes you might have the feeling that he has forgotten you. You experience hard things, or you feel alone, forsaken maybe. You pray, doesn't seem that anybody's listening. Or that anybody's interested in what's happening to you here. God seems so far away. The Lord Jesus. But then you need to lift up your heart on high where Christ your advocate is. At the right hand of his heavenly father. And think of him in heaven. With a body like yours. With flesh like yours. A human body. And then you realize too, he can't forget me. And he knows what my life is about. My life in the body here. He can't forget you. Otherwise, he'd also have to forget himself. He's reminded of you and me every day again. Because of that body he has. And he knows what it is to be human being like you and me here. Of course, it's actually a strange situation. Jesus is also called the bridegroom and the church his bride. And he's, he's, the bridegroom is far from his bride, his church. Those two belong together, right? That the groom, the bridegroom is in the, the new homeland while the bride is here yet on earth isn't an ideal situation. Of course, there is, a, there is connection, there is contact. That's the beauty of, of a two today. Like a husband and wife separated by distance. They can phone, they can text, they can email, they can Skype or Zoom each other. But that's not ideal. They long to be together. So with Jesus Christ, the bridegroom in heaven, and his church, the bride here on earth. Yes, there is connection and communication. Real connection and communication. In the word, in the proclamation of the word, in prayer that we speak to him, and in the Lord's Supper celebration. And that's wonderful. Bridegroom and bride can certainly rejoice in those connections as it takes place here today too. And yet, that's not fully being together. There's still separation. One thing is clear with those connections, though. The bridegroom longs to have the bride with him again. The Lord Jesus longs to take his church to himself. He is its head. And he desires to have his body with him in heaven. And that's how it's confessed in answer 49. Take to himself his church, right? He wants to show his bride his full love and glory and grace. His whole church, everyone who belongs to her. And he will do that. And he's constantly reminded of her when he looks at himself. The question is, does the bride still long for the bridegroom? 
Does the church still long to be taken up to Him? To see Christ? To experience His full and perfect love and glory? Our longing is still all too often very faint and subdued, isn't it? So, much, so many things to enjoy in this life that can distract us from that, from looking up to our advocate in heaven. But that's why we have the word every Sunday and, and the sacrament too today so that via those audible and visible means we can be strengthened and encouraged in our longing to see our Lord and the bridegroom in his full glory and perfect love. In fact, via those means, Christ also sends us his spirit. And that brings us to the third benefit of Christ's ascension. As we confess in answer 49, Christ sends us his spirit from heaven. Congregation, when the bridegroom Jesus Christ ascended far away into heaven, he took something of his bride with him, our flesh. But he then also sent something from there to his bride. His spirit at Pentecost. He has our, fled, our flesh as pledge so that he keeps longing for us to be with him there. He sees us in himself, in his physical presence there. And then he gives us his spirit as counter pledge so that we keep longing to be with him. The spirit works in us the desire. To be with him through word and sacrament. Answer 49 talks about pledge and counter pledge. You can think of a bride and bridegroom giving each other a ring at the wedding. Minister usually asks the bridegroom, do you give this ring as a token of your abiding love and faithfulness to your wife? A token or a pledge, you could say. And then the groom puts the ring on the bride's finger. And then the minister turns to the bride. Do you now give this ring to your husband as a token or a pledge of your abiding love and faithfulness? And, and then, yes, then the bride pushes the ring on her new husband's fingers. Finger. Those, those rings are actually a, a pledge and counter pledge idea. Let's say that they're about to emigrate to another country, uh, a new homeland. Husband goes away to prepare things so that they can live together in their new homeland. He's going to make things ready. And he's gone a long time, but he wears that ring as a token of his, love, his wife's love for him. It, it makes him think of her, to long for her. And that's our flesh. He has our flesh. And the wife may have to miss her husband for a, a time, but she, she wears the ring on on her finger as token of his love and faithfulness. And when she sees that ring again, that token, that pledge, then she knows he's coming again and going to take me to our new homeland to live there together forever even. And it's something like that, eh? With our ascended Savior Jesus Christ in heaven and us here on earth. We, as it were, gave our flesh to him and he took it to heaven with him but he also gave us something, the token of his love, and still gives us his spirit as a counter pledge. Gives us his spirit to live in our hearts, to continually 
reassure us through the word and sacrament of his love for us. I love you. And that motivates us then to also long for him to come and take us home to our new homeland. To be with him in his love, perfect love and glory. As we confess in answer 49, by the power of the spirit, Christ sent his church. Then we seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. And see, that means that the Spirit more and more brings to mind the glory and the coming of Christ so that you live not just for this life here as if this is it. But you live here above all for Christ and toward the revelation, the full revelation of His glory. You see, if you only pay attention to the things that are on earth, you're eventually, you're going to lose courage the more attention you pay to the things here on earth alone. Faith is weak. I'm often so foolish and blind. There are so many opponents of the faith here and so many distractions. And the church is threatened and tried here. It's so small. How can we keep going forward in faith? How can the church of Christ survive? But by the power of Christ's spirit, we seek the things that are above where Christ is at God's right hand. And then we live this life not just as people of this earth anymore, trapped here in this atmosphere. No, we live and work in all things toward the day when our bridegroom comes from heaven to take us into the new and glorious homeland, heaven and earth united in perfection. And so those who belong to Christ are already, we could, we could actually say those who belong to Christ are a little bit in heaven already. They're still physically here on earth. But you could say that their minds are already in heaven. Their hearts are up there already. One foot in heaven you could even say. In, in, in our ascended Savior. We're there already. In a certain way. It's biblical to think along those lines. Listen to what the apostle writes. Ephesians 2 verse 6. God raised us up together with Christ. And made us, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're in a certain way. We're already there with him. Something of us in heaven. Wonderful thing to contemplate, right? And think also then of what the Lord Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer. John 14, 24. On the night when he was betrayed. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. You see, this life here is not our final destination. No. We're destined for greater things, much greater, to join the Lord Jesus in his full glory. That's what he wants. That's what he continues to pray for to the Father, that we may be with him in his glory. And he went before believers into heaven. And sent his spirit. So that we might know for certain. That we can. And we will go there too. The spirit congregation is in the Bible. Called the first fruit in fact. The bridegroom sends the spirit to his bride. As the first fruit from the promised homeland. Like those spies brought those fruits. From the promised land. 
it's like if he sends us a pure gold nugget, for, for instance, to show us how rich and glorious it is where that nugget came from in that land. And the Spirit is that nugget. And He gives love, joy, holiness, hope. That's what the Spirit Christ sends wants to work in your heart by a word and sacrament. Love for the Father and for Him. Joy in God and His salvation. Desire to serve Him in holiness and to hate all sin. Christ sends His Spirit to work some of those heavenly things in your heart now already. And so some of heaven is here on earth in His people. In their hearts. If you experience that, you know that where Christ is, there's a lot more of that. Perfect love, overflowing joy, wonderful holiness. And see, brothers and sisters, with the Spirit of Christ in you, you're not going to let earthly things such as threats and persecution scare you, are you? And you're not going to let yourself be hypnotized by earthly possessions as if that's what life is all about. I'm going to inherit glory and life with Christ in the promised land. So why would I get all worked up about what I don't have here? In fact, won't that cause me to be willing to give up things? To make me willing and ready to share with others? To let go of things? Won't the certainty of my inheritance in Christ make me willing to patiently bear whatever cross he puts on me here? And then you seek the things that are above. The things on earth then lose a lot of their shine when you seek the things that are above, right? But congregation, all these things only apply if you're joined to Christ by faith. If you truly love him. And I leave that with you to think about after you've heard this word and after you partake of the Lord's Supper today. Do I love him? That's so important. That's your life. Amen.